morning, everybody. Morning. Pastor Sean's not here, if you didn't figure that out already. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, it's funny, I haven't preached in this church in, a, in uh, three or four months. It's been a long time, and I've uh, been out preaching for New Beginnings in several other churches for the last few months, but it's good to be home. You know, it doesn't mean that, like, I think our church is any better than any other church. It's just nice to know where you fit in. You know what I mean? And that's what this, this is for me. Uh, it's also, I was looking back over my calendar, I realized I've preached the New Year's Sunday every year for the last four years, so I guess count on me for another. Did you have a good 2018? Yeah. So it must have started okay, right? Um, I have a, a message that I hope will catapult you into a good 2019 this year, but I just want to pose a question to you this morning, one that we've been posing at New Beginnings in Bible study. It's been a month now, but I, what, it's really probably the most important question you can ask yourself, not just in the new year, but ever. And really, I think as you evolve as a Christian or, or even as a mature, as a person, the question is this, who is Jesus Christ to you? I know that's a really, really broad and simple question, and everybody in this place, even if you're not saved, could probably answer that question, but you can recite the, the answer that the Bible wants you to say, right? He's your Savior. If you've received him as Lord and Savior, if you believe that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day, and if you believe that in your heart and profess that with your mouth, and the Bible says you're going to heaven, it's really easy to just spit that out there and say, well, Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I wonder sometimes, I've been pondering this question in my own life, you know, really, is there evidence of that in my life beyond the fact that I'm going to heaven? You know, have I really let that truth impact my life, and then has my life then impacted my culture, my family, my friends, uh, e even you all? You know, it's pretty, it's not hard to get caught up in church and Christianity and get serving in Sunday school or be on a trustees board or and hit a Bible study up once a week and really lose that vision of exactly who Jesus Christ is to you personally, is it? Like ministry can even get you tied up. You know, your jobs can get you tied up. Your, your families, kids. It's not really hard to slip away from that very simple question as a Christian. And, and it's just between you and him. Who is Jesus Christ to you? I'm going to talk about that this morning and I picked a a New Testament character to demonstrate how that really can evolve. But you know, how you perceive somebody determines how you'll respond to them, doesn't it? How you perceive somebody, I'll say that again, will always determine how you will respond to them. You know, if you perceive me as a billionaire, you're going to respond to me and treat me differently than if you perceived me as somebody who's broke. And I don't, it's just, it just happens. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just happens, doesn't it? I mean, you all work for, if you have a job, you have a boss. You perceive him as boss. You probably treat that boss a little bit different than you would if you were just a commoner, if you were just fellow men. I mean, so really, ultimately, how you perceive somebody, even how I, my mother's here today, even how I perceived her as mother, she had more authority over me growing up than any other woman because of that perception, that understanding that she was my mother. So really, it's an important question to ask 
when thinking about anybody, how do I perceive this person? Because ultimately, without sometimes even knowing it, it dictates how you'll respond to them. So having a clear perception of who Jesus Christ really is to you, not just your future in heaven, but who he is to your present right now, and maybe even the past you have that he's covered up, it's important to define that because your understanding and definition of that will determine how you respond to how he wants you to live. Amen? It's really a good time of year to clear that up. Uh, you know, there is a big difference in between believing that Jesus Christ is your Savior and died for your sins a long time ago and making him Lord over your life, isn't there? Amen. There's a big difference in that. And it's that intellectual road that every Christian travels from identifying him as merely their Savior to identifying with him as their Lord and personal friend, ultimately as the king over their life. And that's the intellectual road that you'll take as you, as you come into salvation and travel through life and mature and you're discipled and you're raised up. And ultimately, I hope you're a hero of the faith. But you can't get there without traveling that road. I spent the early part of December this year just going through the Gospel of John. I don't know why, it was just something the Lord, uh, I felt like the Lord wanted me to read. It's different than the other three synoptic Gospels. There's just there's more in there than there is in the other three. And I like it because John is the one who was ultimately there the whole time. So it's just cool. But in that, uh, I've, I became really, I, I was able to identify very well with a character that popped up through that Gospel several times, and it's the character of Nicodemus. And the reason why is because I feel like he resembled my own journey into maturity in Christ and, so, and really resembled so, the journey of so many people as because you get, the gospel records three specific looks, like really just sneak peeks into the life of this Nicodemus. And I'm gonna read all three of them to, here, uh, to you this morning. We're just gonna take a quick graze of his life, but I think he's an identifiable character because he's somebody that I bet you've all traveled almost the same road. I want to start, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to jump around, but it'll be in chronological order and in order in the Gospel of John. If you don't, uh, you can look up. I think Christy's going to put it up there. Uh, please turn to John chapter 3, and I'm just going to read you verses 1 to 4. And we're going to learn a couple things about who Nicodemus is. We don't really know much about his past, but, but based on where he is presently in John chapter 3, we can make some safe assumptions on who this man is. And the Bible says this in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And then Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And then that passage of scripture goes on and, uh, and eventually results in the most famous statement in the Bible, and that's John 3.16, where Jesus finally lays it down, lays down the explanation to, to this Nicodemus and said, for God so loved the world, you man, that he sent me to die for your sins, ultimately. But Nicodemus is a Jewish leader. He's a member of the Pharisees. The Bible says he's a well-known teacher, and we can make this other assumption beyond those that he was very educated 
in both history, religion, law. He was undoubtedly very wealthy, and he was, had, had a lot of political power. So beyond those assumptions, we can make one more assumption. Number four is that he was afraid to be caught with Jesus during the daytime. He was interested in the message that Jesus had been preaching. He had followed the ministry from afar. His colleagues were obviously intimidated by the following and the power that Jesus had amassed to this point in his ministry. And for some reason, God perks this interest in his heart. But because of the circles that he runs in, this Nicodemus is afraid to be seen with Jesus Christ in the daylight, but he's very interested in the story. Now, if you were to go on and read the rest of John chapter 3, most scholars and theologians do believe that Nicodemus received salvation in Christ Jesus at this point in time. He actually believed. He got the explanation on being born again. He heard it straight out, straight from the teacher's mouth. He acknowledged the miracles, and then we know, and I'm going to take you through this today, that he ended up following Jesus right to the cross. So we can probably, with a fair degree of certainty, say that Nicodemus... Although he came to Christ at night, did receive salvation, had his life changed over this passage of scripture, and ultimately is in heaven today because of it. Now, if you're still right there, if you're reading the paper Bible, go to John chapter 7 and look at verse 50. We're going to pick up on Nicodemus just a, a short time later, probably the period of less than a year and a half since this encounter that he's had with Jesus. And politically, a lot of things have happened since then. Jesus has become more hated among the rich and powerful religious rulers, and the poor have embraced him more. His following has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's amassing crowds of up to 20,000 on the hillside by now. So things have shifted since, this, since the early ministry to now it probably has, come even, has become even more taboo for a guy like Nicodemus to buy into what's coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is being, is being grilled here at this point in John chapter 7, and I'm just going to skip to the end, because this is the next time of the three times in the New Testament the name Nicodemus is brought up. But the Pharisees are conversing among one another and basically saying, how can we squash this religious movement? We can't seem to be able to control it because of, the desirable message coming from his mouth, but better than that, Christ had the miracles to back up what he was saying, didn't he? You don't get 20,000 people on a hillside listening to what you're saying if you can't back it up with your lifestyle. And so at the end of this, they say, <clears throat> they're, they're talking about who he was, and uh, I'll, in 46 it says, no one's ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. And they say, you mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any one of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No. Now, is that true? It's not true. Nicodemus quietly has. And I wonder if maybe there weren't a few others by now in this Sanhedrin, in this, Sanhedrin, in this religious organization who have maybe silently bought in to the truth and begun to accept the power of the gospel. We don't know, but we do know that whoever's speaking here says no, but this mob knows nothing of the law. There's a curse on them. And here it is. And Nicodemus, who'd gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does the law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? And they replied, what, are you, a Gal are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find out that a prophet does not come from Galilee. 
what's happening here is Nicodemus is really open, he, he's, he's defending reluctantly Christ. Did you see that? You know, he's openly acknowledging like, hey, you know, maybe we should give this guy a fair trial. Maybe somebody should look in to see if what he's saying lines up with the Old Testament. But he doesn't just stand up there and say, well, you're wrong. I'm a Christian. I believe in him. Because the man just made the statement. Nobody in the Pharisees believes in him. Nicodemus is at this point in his, in his life where he knows in his heart that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's accepted it and he's been saved by that truth. But his courage has not yet come to the place where his faith is. Can anybody relate to that this morning? Yeah. You've, you, you got it. You're saved. You're going to heaven. But man, the world is a scary place. And sometimes being a Christian puts a target on your back. Sometimes Jesus is going to ask you to give up something or fall in line to obedience with something that the world says is foolish. Really, it's a place I think that undoubtedly if you're a Christian and you haven't gotten there yet, you're going there. And if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, you can say amen. There is a time in my faith walk where my courage has not backed up what my heart was, had known to be true. Have you been there, church? Where really, like, you knew what was right and wrong, but you just didn't have the courage. This is where Nicodemus is. I believe everything in his character probably wanted to stand up and say no. I'm telling you, I met with this man at night a couple years ago. He is the Messiah, but he just didn't have the courage. He didn't really, he wasn't ready to take the scrutiny that would come with such a statement. But he knew somehow, and deep down in his heart, he knew he must defend what was true, but he didn't want to do it publicly. He wasn't really ready to have the full onslaught of persecution that would have come from his colleagues had he stood up and said, you guys are all out of line. He is the Messiah, and we can't, we have no right to try him. It's that place where, you know, as a Christian, you can get stuck there for a long time, can't you? Stuck in this place where you're just happy to be saved. You're happy to have met Christ at night. Where nobody else maybe knows you did. But where your courage hasn't really matched up with, what you're, with your faith yet. It's a, it's a place where I think a lot of the church in America, I spent years there myself. And maybe even now delve back into that place where I know better, you know? I, I know what Jesus wants me to do. I've read the Bible cover to cover. Why aren't I living it? I find myself once in a while now even going back into this place where my courage doesn't match my faith. We pick up one last time, the last time Nicodemus is mentioned in the New Testament. If you're still following me, turn to John chapter 19. And we're skipping another time period down the road here. And I can read, I guess, 38 to 39. And, and again, in this chronological walk, we're going through a whole lot of more things have now happened. Now, at this point in the story, the Pharisees have had their way. They've crucified an innocent man. They have tried to squash an uprising but at the same time, God's been silently working behind the scenes. And we're, you know, we're right here at the end of the rope. We're before the actual, the resurrection, this point where Jesus conquered death. And Nicodemus' name, it's funny, John's the only one that mentions him, I believe, comes back up here. And it says later, after Jesus has died, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. 
Joseph was another member of the, of the Pharisees, another wealthy man who we can assume that at some point in this whole story also accepted the truth that this really was the Messiah that they that they crucified. And he went and petitioned Pilate for the body, but he did it secretly because he was still afraid of the Jews, the Bible said. When Pilate's, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. I'm in verse 39. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And this is the last time you see him mentioned in the text. You know, and it's a little different this time, isn't it? This time it's not come to Christ at night. This time it's not silently and reluctantly holding your hand up at a meeting and saying, well, I mean, it doesn't seem like, I mean, doesn't at least this man deserve a fair trial? Let me show you what's different now. Uh, It says he's openly seen in public assisting in the burial of the body of Jesus Christ. He's not just openly seen. They hauled it there themselves. And they didn't just haul it there themselves. I mean, he finally got with a brother, with this Joseph of Arimathea, as they uncovered this conspiracy. And, and they gave him the proper, proper burial. Joseph gave up his tomb, with his, which at the time was worth an untold amount of money. And Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh. The number 75 is significant in this story because this. If you look back in the Jewish text, the 75 pounds of myrrh, and spices was the exact weight that was used to embalm a king. Isn't that interesting? You can see he's taken this reach now to fully understand this wasn't just a prophet or a teacher or a man. He was the king. I looked up the value of what 75 pounds of myrrh would be worth in today's market. It has a street, street value or market value of about $200,000 today would have been the same, you know, equal to that back then. Now, we know Nicodemus was wealthy, but you don't give up $200,000 when push comes to shove if you don't believe this man is who he said he was, do you? You don't do it. Now, that kind of donation, even back then, among his colleagues, would have brought heavy public scrutiny. I bet you nobody here could really, unless you're really good, give $200,000 to anything without somebody knowing who did it. So we've gotten to see this Nicodemus who, he's not sure who Christ is. He comes to him at night. And then, you know, he accepts the message. He accepts salvation. And just like you and I do, have all done, or we're in the middle of right now. He's taking this walk of getting his courage to meet his faith. But he ends the journey here as... There is no question at this point who Jesus Christ is to Nicodemus because he gives him the embalming and the burial of a king. And he does it publicly in front of his colleagues and in front of his community. And he gives up $200,000 of his own money to do it. Isn't it interesting to see that maturity that just comes in him as he realizes he comes to this point where, you know what? My courage actually does meet my faith. I no longer care what you think. I'm going to treat him and respond to him for what he actually is. And that's the king. Amen. This, uh, yeah, it's this journey from closet seeker to saved, to the surrendered, to the mighty in faith is the journey we're all taking, isn't it? You can nod your heads. It's the journey we're all taking. I mean, if you're saved, you're one of those four this morning. 
You're a closet seeker. You're meeting them at night, poking around and finding out if there really is a heaven, if there really is a hell, if, there, if Jesus Christ is who the Bible says he is. Or you're saved. Maybe you made it through that conversation at night. Or maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while and your courage just hasn't come to where your faith is yet. Maybe you have the faith to believe what's in here. But I also know there's those in this room that have matured and become the mighty, have become the mighty in faith. I just want for a second this morning, and I'll tie this up, to consider where you really are. Because, you know, I'm a firm, you could be saved for a lot of years and still on step one or two. You could be saved for 30 years and still seeking Christ at night and having really never the courage to put your money where your mouth is, maybe to put your reputation on the line, to put your business on the line, to risk a couple friends to stand up and do what's right. I use Nicodemus this morning because it's, we've all been there. Before I close this morning, I'm just going to, you know, the greatest conspiracy of all time was the conviction and execution of an innocent man. Do you know that there's never been another innocent man? Even if you get killed on death row today, convicted of a crime that you didn't convict, commit, you're still not innocent. You're still a sinner. The greatest conspiracy of all time was the conviction and the execution of Jesus Christ because he was legitimately innocent until the end. Amen? Legitimately innocent until the end. You know, I believe there's still a conspiracy going on in the world today to cover up who this Jesus Christ really was. And if there was ever a, a time where it was important for you and I to answer that question and begin to really have a serious conversation about how we'll identify to that and how, how we will live our lives based on that truth, that time is now, isn't it? Now is the time. Because the enemy would love you to believe that you're just going to make it and you're going to be a good person if you just show up at church once in a while. He'd love you to believe that the teachings of the Bible are just good things that are going to help you prosper and treat people right and you can pick and choose. He'd love you to believe that Jesus Christ is going to get you to heaven but never open your mouth. He'd love all of that, but it's, that's part of the conspiracy. But all through the scriptures, and I want to encourage you with this this morning, you will find this from Genesis to Revelation that wherever Satan has men implanted, God does too. Do you know that? You can parallel that all the way through Genesis till the end. And you can probably look at your culture now and, and, and it's really easy to focus on the evil people of this world who are tearing down our moral structure, who are, who are persecuting the church, or maybe who are just spreading a false message. But it's important, take courage, where Satan has men implanted in this conspiracy, so does God. You know, there was a Judas at the same time this Nicodemus was around. you know that? And he was a plant to bring Christ to the cross by the devil. He was embezzling money out of the ministry, and ultimately he sold him out. He sold out Christ in the garden. And it's really easy to get caught up in the story and say, well, there's a Judas, you know, he's a traitor. Wow, how could you sell your friend out like that? But don't miss the fact that while Satan may have put a plant in the disciples, God put a plant or two in the Pharisees. Isn't that cool? Where, there, where Satan has a man, God also has, I'm, think of it as his own godly conspiracy against evil, if you will. I don't think we, it's not too arrogant to, to agree this morning, then we don't have the underhand in this thing. 
God is a better strategist than Satan. Do you know that? He's a better strategist. I will tell you right now, Judas went and killed himself on a tree and ruined his legacy. No one he was wrong. Nicodemus goes down in the Bible as one of the first, probably the first Pharisee, to ever accept the truth and ultimately swing some of his colleagues over to salvation in Christ Jesus. And I know later on down the line made it easier for the gospel to spread across. He quietly was an advocate. You know, I'm just going to challenge you this morning before I pray for you that your whole year, 2019, could be something different if you began to look at yourself that way. What if you're a plant? What if you're a conspiracy plant in your circle, in your workforce, in your job, you know, in your town? What if God, you know, there's, we don't have to look far to find evil, do we? To find immorality, to find people that will step over on the backs of the poor to gain a dime. But what if we began to look at ourselves as the Nicodemuses, those people that God has planted strategically in our sectors? I mean, I got guys here from three different states. And I know that there's people here from not just Troy, Canton, Tawanda. What if we really began to identify ourselves that way? You know, your entire mandate will begin to take shape when you realize that God has intricately placed you wherever you are in your culture as, as part of that holy conspiracy. I'm going to give you a truth this morning. People who seek, secretly seek Christ in the dark never impact their culture. Let that sink in for just a second. People who seek Christ at night never make a difference in their culture. They only save themselves. You can only save yourself, your own soul, by coming to Christ at night and asking these questions that Nicodemus did. You know, you really have to become an open follower of him, willing to sacrifice your popularity, maybe some money, whatever the situation requires. You know, God can't just, Jesus can't just be your savior. He has to be your Lord and King when the spotlight's actually on you. And that's the truth that Nicodemus came into at the end when he decided to do what was right and give Christ a king's burial. I came into this, I'll tell you a short story last week. I was preaching at a, I'm, I was preaching at another church and I ran into a couple. They were the parents of a, a friend of mine from high school and college that I probably raised a lot of trouble with. And that, I really hadn't seen them since. And, you know, I've been on this, this journey that Nicodemus has been on for a while, and I've probably been fit like 10 or 15 years since I ran into these people. And I was preaching in this church, and I hadn't started yet. I was greeting everybody. And when they walked in the back, my first thought was, oh, my God. <laughs> the last time I saw these people, I was probably sneaking in their house at 2 in the morning with their son. <laughs> I wonder what their perception of me really is going to be. And there came this moment where I was like, I'm not seeking Christ at night anymore. I'm going to just do what God's called me to do. And they're going to, you know, and so I did. I delivered a message and Kerrigan gave a wonderful testimony and the whole church got touched. And at the end, they came right up to me and they, we had a, just a good reunion and they said they were, they were proud of me. And uh, we had a good, it was a good conversation, but it was that scary moment where I was like, I'm speaking on behalf of New Beginnings in a church that supports us. I'm not seeking Christ at night anymore. <laughs> there's, there's just no getting around it. 
These people that knew me from years ago are either going to have to accept it or they're not. They're going to have to receive me or they're not, and I can no longer afford to care. And that's just, uh, I'm going to, Christy, I'm going to close and pray now. I want to, I know that I'm not the only, I know I was speaking this message to somebody here this morning. And wherever you are on that intellectual road, this is a New Year's message. It's a perfect time to, to really evaluate that. Ask yourself this question while I'm praying. Who is Jesus Christ to me? And where and when am I seeking him? Because I promise you, whether you believe it or not, it's determining how you respond to him. And it's determining how you live your life. And it's definitely determining how you're being blessed or not. It's determining really more than you think. And it can happen by accident. It's the perfect time of year to figure out who he really is to you. The start of the new year is a perfect time to tell him, you know that? Like to remake that commitment. Jesus, this is, this is who you are to me. And I've been saved a long time and I'm gonna make a, a covenant. Josh is on the ministry team. Would you come down, Josh? I, I am gonna do an altar call and I hope somebody responds. If you just, and it's not, and if you don't respond at the altar, respond in your seat for this reason. You know, I said it's easy to get caught up in this thing for years where your courage really doesn't match your faith. And there's no better time to make another commitment to the Lord than now, than just to say 2018 was what it was. The years, some years have been good, some years have been bad, but in 2019, I'm gonna start it by rededicating my life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to start it, and if, even if you've been saved for a long time, by just saying, God, I'm not seeking you at night anymore. I'm going to begin to stand up for you. I'm going to come to you in the day. I'm going to stick up for you in my circles and my friends. And maybe, maybe you just want to come down this morning and get prayer for courage. I, I didn't plan this because it's just randomly generated. But Josh and Ashley were on ministry team today, so... I'm going to have Josh pray for anybody that wants courage this morning that matches their faith. And I know there's people out there that need to come forward and receive that. And I didn't plan this, but Josh is the perfect person to be praying for that because that anointing is on his life. I've gotten, Josh and I have known each other as we've gone through, we've taken this journey together, <laughs> this seeking Christ at night thing and being somebody else during the day. We've, we've been in this place where we begin to silently stick up for him. But, I mean, Josh, he's put his money where his mouth is. You know, they, I watched him and Ashley put thousands of dollars of their own money into, into this awakened dream to get it going, also that kids could, could come to Christ. You know, he, he bet the house on the gospel. So what better person to have pray for you this morning than Josh if you need courage that will match your faith? You know, if you've been in the dark for too long seeking Christ, come down front this morning and just tell them or do it at your pew. And, if, you, and if, if what I just said spoke to your heart and thought, man, I really do understand this book and my faith's in the whole thing. I just don't have the courage to walk some of it out. Let, this, let Josh pray for you this morning. No better way to start a new year than just saying, God, I'm educated now on the conspiracy of the devil. And I'm going to become part of the holy conspiracy.